Welcome back to another episode of Meredith with a Y. Today, I have the most amazing guest, Keisha Edmonds. She is sharing her story, Keisha's legacy. This is a trigger warning. Today, we are going to be talking about physical, emotional, sexual abuse. So if this is not in line with what you want to be listening to, if it is not comfortable for you to be listening, come back to the next series because today we are going to be talking about this. So stay with us. Hello, everyone. This is Meredith with a Y, and I am your host, Meredith Willits. Today we are going to go deep, changing lives, and I am giving you the keys to the castle. Keisha, thank you so much for being here and sharing your story. I so appreciate you. Thank you, Meredith, for having me on. I'm so nervous, but I'm really excited. This is going to be great. You have nothing to worry about. It's just me and a couple thousand listeners. It's fine. Just kidding. (laughs) You're so cute. So I found you and your story on TikTok as Mm -hmm. so many amazing women that I have found throughout this series, but your story was different. And that's what really drew me into you because it was from a different angle. So your stepfather actually was the person who lived in your home and abused you. So can you talk about where that, how that all started out? Sure. Well, my mother actually met my stepfather um, when I was around two years of age. So we initially did not live together at first. So from two to five, he played the role of the doting stepfather, right? And I was the only girl amongst two boys at the time. And he took on a role as my stepfather. And, you know, he treated me as if like I was his golden daughter, like I was his. I did not have a relationship with my birth father. So it was just like, finally, some male yeah. attention, you know? So then years passed. And then around the age of five, when we actually first got our first place, because before then, we weren't really living anywhere stable. You know, it was pretty unfortunate circumstances. So during that time, around the first week or so, or very early, because we didn't have furniture at the time, mm-hmm. my stepfather crossed that line in regards to being that male role model that I adored and loved into this monster that I would soon be introduced to for seven years. So, yeah, yeah. And you said, and when we talked earlier that you remember that because it correlated with kindergarten and starting at this new school. So it it was really, really kind of burned into your memory, not only because it was this assault, but Mm. also because it was like, okay, we have this house. These things are supposed to be great. Stepdad's moving in. We have a family. We have this place and not so much. Exactly. Like I mentioned when we spoke, it was around the time, like I said, we first moved in, we didn't have furniture. And I remember there being a mattress in the main living room area. And that's when he crossed the line. He tried me. He had proceeded to touch under my clothing. I'm five. I don't really know what this means, but I know I don't like it because it was foreign to me. Mm -hmm. So I resisted. And then that was the beginning of what would be like the torture (laughs) mentally and emotionally and physically I would soon endure so did you at that point tell your mom did you mention it like do you remember kind of how that all played itself out that 
hey, this guy that you're with isn't all that he's cracked up to be? Or did you like, was there a protection that, at all towards him? Because you didn't want to screw up this happy home that you thought you were walking into? Or like, how did that all play out? Well, I actually did not remember telling her at the age of five. Around the time that it started to occur, it started to escalate. So it would turn mm. into like laying with me on the couch or me sitting on his lap and then him inappropriately touching me to where I was just like, okay, something's going on, you know? Mm-hmm. So I don't recall telling my mother at five, I gave her the benefit of the doubt because the abuse occurred from five to 12 years of age. And I had always in my mind thought 10, I told her at 10, mm-hmm. I later found out you know, which we'll probably get into during my investigation that my mother admitted, I did tell her at five years old. And then, you know, as we get older, I mean, you're pushing him away at five, you're pushing him away at seven. Now you're becoming more of a preteen, right? You're becoming, I mean, Mm -hmm. I have a 12 year old, she's becoming a preteen, like she's, you know, getting into puberty and all that good stuff. Did it get worse? Did it escalate? Like, how did that all happen? And, and where were your brothers and mom all that? I mean, we're just seeing what's that poor little girl. But now we see that her mom actually killed her. This is going to be weeks later that Nivia, Nivia, I'm going to mess up her name, but that her mom actually killed her. But we do see this time and time again, that gal that they're talking about on TikTok, a little two-year-old girl, but we are Mm. seeing time and time again, the boyfriend, the stepdad, mm-hmm. the boyfriend, yeah. and the the mom doesn't want to change her way of life. The mm-hmm. mom doesn't want to admit that this is going on. Like, where's everybody at? Or is he, because of the fact that he's living with you, which this is a totally different, as we talked about, all the gals that I've had on so far on my series, they've been outsiders, right? right. It's been the neighbor mm-hmm. or the uh, you know extended family how do you come home every day knowing that this guy's there? How do you come home from school and not have a complete stroke out? Exactly. It was difficult. And I can remember I got to the point because it escalated to the sense where he was set it up. He used his authority as my stepfather to position moments to where he can abuse me. So he would utilize the fact of putting me on punishment. Mm. And while being on punishment, for whatever reason that he chose to see fit of me being in trouble, because I don't recall being a bad kid. So anything he he thought he was doing wasn't justified because there was a reason behind it. So he would use that as a way to get me alarm. Um, Being though I was the only girl, I did have my own room. And my mother, I honestly do not know where she was for a simple fact that I don't remember my mom really having a job. She seemed as if she relied on the system a lot to receive funding because we did live in like housing and, and things of that nature. So I will get put on punishment and then he will use the term, you need to take a nap. And oh, God. Yeah. So then I would need to then be sleep, which again, I, well, I never was. And then he would proceed to come in my room and abuse me. Um, it got so bad and so frequent and so invasive to where I actually told him, like, I'm going to tell my mom, this is what you're doing to me. Because at this time I have a hatred for him. And at this time, I have a baby brother. We're four years apart, and that's his son. So I didn't like him either. So all this is going on. I have so much hate in my heart. And I just honestly was just like, I'm going to tell my mom what you're doing to me. And he looked at me and honestly told me, she's not going to believe you. She's not. Oh, my gosh. And I told her. And you told her. 
Yeah, I told her. And then I can remember them. And this is when you remember telling her moment. This is the I remember having this moment and telling her. Mm -hmm. And so this has been building up. You finally can't take it anymore. It's becoming so frequent that he is doing this. And so you walk up to her and is he around when you tell her? No. Okay. No, so no. He was not around. Um, I thought I had, you know, safe solace with her. I had a place. She was my safe place, you know? And I told her what he was doing to me and her reaction was natural. You know, I can't believe it. You know, she's arguing with him. I can remember him saying like, why are you doing this to my daughter, my baby? He's like, you know, I always, when I repeat this, I always want to say her name because I can hear the way he says her name and his tone, but I, you know, I'm not, but what am I going to do with her? She's a little girl. What do I look like messing with her? That's my stepdaughter. She just doesn't like me. She's only doing that because she doesn't want us to be together. So she used so. it, he used it as like a, you're lying, trying to get rid of me type of energy. Exactly. When we first talked the other day, mm-hmm. I really wanted to have a conversation about and it was just chilling when you told me because I was I was bringing to the, the, the forefront that you're a woman of color yeah. and that uh, for people that are not seeing you, <laughs> just listening uh, yeah. to it <laughs> and that this th- the fact of being um, an African-American man or woman, mm-hmm. it creates a completely different challenge. Can you talk about that? Well, from my experience and from what I can presume, plenty of others in the African-American community from what I've seen and experienced, there is a distrust between authorities and our people through, you know, history books, (laughs) we'll tell you, (laughs) our our long line of distrust. So when it it comes to um, telling our business, seeking help, um, is typically kept within the home because the the white man is not trustworthy. Yeah. Although, you know, most families do keep these things secret as well, regardless of race, it is very deep into the African-American community not to trust the police, not to trust doctors to a certain extent. Yeah. So we're seeing that now uh, with like the COVID energy that's getting reemerged in our, in people, white people, recognizing, holy shit, this is actually a thing that maybe we weren't privy to or wasn't as public, that there is a discrepancy between the healthcare of people of color and white people get very, very different healthcare. Um, so yes. not only do we get different help in uh, the system of police and social services and things of that nature, um, but also the medical facility as well. Cause like when I'm looking at this, my ass is like, okay, I'm being molested. I'm 10. I'm going to go to the school. I'm going to go to a police officer. These are very safe places. I'm going to tell my pediatrician. And what mm-hmm. you're saying is, is yeah, no, Nope, 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 nope. We do not let that into our household because that might be more dangerous. Exactly. And I had to think of my brothers. Like if I went to a teacher, you know, will they take us, separate us? Because Mm. the foster system is not anything pleasant. Yeah. It's highly unlikely that family members, the children and groups of children stay together. So it was just like, keep it in the home and just hope it goes away. And then you tell your mom and she's going to believe your stepfather. 
yes, I thought it would have been over. I thought they would have broke up. I thought he would be gone. And just like any other time, something happened in the home. He was there. And this happened at 10 when you you came to her with this. And then did anything change? Did it slow down? Did she try to run interference? Was she, you know, raising an eye and watching you closer because of it? Like, is she like on high alert now? Well, remember, I remember I thought it was 10. According right. to my mother, I told her at five. So there were seven years of this. So I recall her having an eye on me um, to a certain extent, but it really wasn't to the point where it prevented him from doing what he wished. He even took it as far as when we went looking for a new vehicle on that test drive. He took my sibling on one with himself, and then he took me. And I remember the style of the vehicle, the color, everything that he took me in. And he drove and pulled over on the side of the road and, and proceeded to sexually abuse me. On a test drive. Yeah. yeah. And then, so this continued for two more years to the age of yes. 12. Yes. And would you say that from an outsider's point of view, because I know you have four kids, yeah, would you have looked at you and said, something's up with it there? She's getting Fs. She's not eating. She's wiggling around in her pants. She's can't sit still. She's depressed. She's nervous. Should someone have noticed? Absolutely. My behavior changed drastically. In middle school, I really began to rebel. I ended up getting write-ups, getting arguments for certain teachers, just really not myself. I was a studious kid, always into learning, always into books, always into writing. And all those things seem to have fallen to the wayside. I'm like, again, I'm being argumentative. I'm lying, disobeying. Um, Low self-esteem played a big part for me. I begin to wear bigger size clothes, um, Mm. being a tomboy per se. Hiding. As I'm... Yes, as I'm developing into my body. Yeah. If you can imagine my my breasts are starting to bud, like these are things that I'm supposed to, you know, hold on to and, you know, be proud of. Instead, I'm ashamed of it and I'm afraid as if these are the things that are attracting him to me. So self-esteem issues. I will walk around with my head down a lot, just looking at the ground because I couldn't bear to look at people in their faces because I didn't want them to see what was really going on with me. What else? Oh, bathing. I proceeded to no longer like stop bathing because it was like, well, if I smell, you know, if I'm dirty, he won't come bother me. And he had a quick fix to that was to tell my mom, like something's going on with her. She doesn't seem as if she's taking any baths. See, see what's going on with that. And she made me shower. Cause I've actually heard of kids not being as hygienic who have gone mm-hmm. or are going through trauma, but I had never associated with it be- being to repulse mm-hmm. the predator. I had never, I've yeah. heard of the baggy clothes, make so much sense, gaining weight, things like that, hiding, shrieking, but I had never heard of the hygiene part described quite the way you just did. I always thought it was, or had, had heard it, had absorbed it as being just loss of care. But you're saying it was very, very for a reason. Yes. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. And can I ask you, 
when you were in middle school going through all of these things, did you use in your mind, if you can think about it, this predatory men are predators? And did you apply those labels to male teachers, male parents of, you know, dads of other kids or other men in the world? Or did you isolate it to only be your stepfather? At that time, it was just my stepfather. I had actually come in contact with men who were very supportive, who noticed something was going on with me and actually encouraged me to become a better child. And I was so fortunate for that because I don't know where I'd be without them. Mm -hmm. So you didn't, you didn't control all paste to everyone else, which is amazing. In childhood. Now it evolved as I became an adult. I really didn't see it for older men. Um, Any man that resembled myself, all the repulsed me, any man who like tried to give advances to, to me, I was shrinking to a 12 year old, my 12 year old self. And that's how it affected me later in life. So it didn't at the time, but then later in life, and those were the, the triggers that were coming up. Mm-hmm. So how did it end up stopping? Cause I know, well, as far as we know, you're, they're still together. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's not like he like left when you were 12. So what was that thing that made that all stop finally? So it Again, vivid memories. (laughs) It was the day after my sixth grade graduation or promotion. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have to go to school the next day. So my siblings were gone. My mother, again, who knows where she is. And I went to use the bathroom and I had an intense burning sensation. I'm 12. I've never, I don't know what this is, you know? And he rushed me to the hospital. He did. he did because he was the only one there right so he take me to he takes me to the hospital and it's discovered while I'm there that I was given an STD and while I'm alone in the room with the doctors and the nurses and they're talking to me like you can trust us you know I didn't receive the rape kit all of these invasive things my mother was not there he left the hospital he left me there Hmm. once he knew like okay, she's having issues in her private areas. I should probably beat it, you know? And so he left he a leaves. 12-year-old at the hospital by yourself. Yeah, yeah. left me there. And uh, my mother came and, you know, they explained to her, you know, what was going on with me. But I told them in the back that it was my stepfather who did it. And they said, I mean, that should have been, the police should have been there in five minutes. <laughs> Social exactly. worker should have been there in five minutes. Exactly. So, and that's where things kind of like stopped for me because I was separated from the situation at this time. So I can only imagine that they're talking to my mother and I do not know what she's telling them. Oh, mm-hmm. but this goes back to what the hell, you know, like why, why weren't you believed? Why was right. your not word not valuable in, mm-hmm. in this situation? And I'm asking my listeners, if you're out there, I don't care what the child looks like. We have to believe them. We do not believe the mom that runs interference. We do not believe the stepdad who's saying one me. We have Mm -hmm. to start listening to these children and go forward with this as if it's true until it's proven not true. But when you have a 12 year old girl walking in with an STD, I mean, come on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just such an, a complete disservice. And so 
for whatever reason at that time, then you go back home and how do you, what do you think was the tipping point from your mom and he at that point that they, that it ended? Like, so we know that it's been told, but now why is it finally stopping? Right. So I think it's the extremity of the actual disease that I had that caused it to stop because it was, it's serious. Yeah. I actually was sent to my grandmother's home oh, okay. for the summer. Mm-hmm. There really wasn't a relationship with my grandparents. So again, there was another way or barrier between me being able to speak my truth just because how my mother set up the dynamic of the relationship with her family um, outside of the home, which was that she didn't have one. She was the black sheep and they were not to be trusted. So she, I never got to tell my grandma what was happening with me. I was given my medication and told to take it as advised. So I thought it was over in regards to my stepfather not being in the home. I was wrong. But due to this extreme circumstance of the police being involved and now, you know, the Children, Youth and Family Services was involved because I ended up meeting with a caseworker, I think that's what scared them and made him no longer cross that line with me because it never happened after that. Now there were some suspect instances and occurrences that happened, but nothing to the point where it was physical, but it was still invasive of my privacy. And you told people over these years, you found fa- you, you have found out because I just want everyone to, to know that this mm-hmm. amazing powerhouse that I'm talking to today, if, if anyone hears my like lack of words, believe me, it's not because I don't have things to say. I'm absorbing as she's speaking everything that she's talking about and trying to absorb it all and be impartial here. But because it's a lot. This is a lot. It is. But but you've only been doing this coming out with your story for about a month now. Yes. On TikTok, it's been, yeah, on the 26th, it was a month. Mm-hmm. I started the YouTube around the time that I was prosecuting my stepfather because it felt so good to publicly, like on my social media, tell people who were close to us that I was doing what I was doing and why. Mm-hmm. Um, so I decided to make the YouTube, but then... I paused for a second and then TikTok is just where it blew up. And um, I've been going on since then. So unlike many of the other gals, this isn't a judgment. This isn't anything, but you did prosecute him. Yes, I did. I went after him. And many of the other people haven't Mm -hmm. on on here and everyone has their own situation and what's safe for them, what's comfortable for them. Exactly. One of the other gals actually did. But not only did you prosecute, you won. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. 20 plus years later. Yeah. And so yeah. if there is someone out there listening that thinks that 20 some years later, you cannot get a conviction, we are here to tell you it is possible. It is possible. Only thing that I would suggest is that you check your state's mm-hmm. statute of limitations. Because I, I found out by just inquiring that I could. So I did. Mm-hmm. And now mm-hmm. is he, he's currently incarcerated then? He, he is. And your mother still is not supportive of you? Absolutely not. No. She's had her own way of trying to interfere some more as all this was going on with the investigation. She's messaged people who were, you know, encouraging me online that we knew 
in messages, trying to discourage them, you know, saying things of me being stupid and it's going to blow up in my face. They're going to look stupid for supporting me. And it, yeah, it's a lot of interference on her end. And he pleaded to two to seven years. Yes, they originally tried to get two to five, but I decided that two to seven was better for me because I want him to serve the full seven years. Now, due to the type of charges he admitted to, he has to serve a mandatory 80% of that time. If he is in a sexual, what is it? Offender? Uh, Yeah, sexual offender program while in prison. But whenever he does come up for parole, I get notified and I'm going to show up and just reiterate to them that the seven years is equate, equates to the seven years that he intentionally came into my room and abused. Yeah. And do you know this? It, it's neither here nor there. I'm just curious for listeners mm-hmm. perspective of of paying attention. Do you know if he ever did this to anyone else? I have not seen it, but once I did come pub- like come out publicly, I was contacted by other females who had their own story in regards to their interaction with him. And there's a couple of people who I have my own feelings about, but I can't get in, t- in contact with them to confirm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whenever that information was brought to me, I encouraged them to contact detectives and build their own case, which one did try, but they had to do it on their own accord. Yeah. So they couldn't really get onto my case, but I handle it for all of us. So it's a win for everybody. You're so amazing. Like literally, I just can't even, but to go back, but you, so, Mm -hmm. so as you started coming out with this, you're, you're going Mm -hmm. to court, he's being convicted. He's, he's going to jail. You're coming out on social media. Like, Hey, this is happening this happened yes. to me. I'm not full of nonsense. Like this is a the real deal. Your mom's trying to run interference and tell people blah, 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 her in her own illness that she's dealing with, obviously in her mm-hmm. head. But then people started coming forward that you were in a friendship with or whatever, when you were younger and you're like, they were like, Hey, you did say this to me. And so, yeah, I knew about this. Yeah, that was a surprise to me because I feel as if that's something that my young mind blocked out for obvious reasons um, in regards to being disappointed and, you know, things of that nature. But I can only, you know, think of the mind of a fellow five-year-old, you know, a fellow six-year-old at the time, what can they do? Mm -hmm. You know, so I don't really fault them for knowing it was just surprising because I learned a lot about myself um, as a child through talking to people about my experience. I learned that I was a very protective child. Um, I protected family members from him. I kept them very close, the female ones, my male cousin as well. And I just kept everybody close to me because I didn't know and I didn't want anyone to experience what I was going through. And you do see this so often where the one, like if it's sisters or whatever, where the one child that, that is being abused does start protecting the younger siblings, the cousins, the, they don't let their friends come over because they're not really mm-hmm. sure what their dad or whatever. It's exactly. the, the amount of pressure besides the horribleness of the abuse, yes. the, the mental and emotional exhaustion yes. of trying to keep yourself safe and alive never knowing when it's coming 
working through the physical aspect of the abuse, but then saving everyone else in the house. Like what is happening at, you know, at five, at seven, at eight. I mean, my kids can barely get their socks in the hamper and you're, you know, getting involved in everyone keeping literally in your mind's eye, whether it's real or not, you are, have been charged with keeping everyone safe. Yeah. And putting yourself in peril's way to not break up the family and bring police into your house. Exactly. So my step, so my little brother could have his father because I don't know if we'll go into it, but I'll say it anyway. Yeah. Go for it. This (laughs) is your time. Whenever like the police and everybody was involved, I was under the assumption or led to believe that he was never coming back by my mother. So for whatever reason, there was nothing that happened further with the investigation into my abuse. My stepfather just disappeared into thin air. And my mother actually took me on a walk one day with my baby brother to this apartment. And my stepfather was there. Mm. And she took me there so he can apologize to me. And which I guess he called himself apologizing. And then she looked to me and asked me, can he come back? Putting that now on you as well. Yeah. The crazy thing about this, besides all of it, is right is although it might not take the form of sexual abuse it might take many other different forms Mm -hmm. as women we have to do better for our children yes the guy you are sharing a bed with Mm -hmm. and maybe more importantly a mortgage or rent payment with cannot be more important than protecting your children from physical, emotional, mental, sexual abuse. Exactly. And we've seen it time and time again, that poor little boy in California. And of course I I need to write these names down. (laughs) Yeah. But the, the, you know, the boyfriend killed him. I mean, we see it over and over. These women Mm -hmm. go to work. These men don't have jobs. So they're the Mm -hmm. babysitter. They have absolutely no connection to these children. You know, it's usually the boyfriend or the stepdad or the whatever the hell. And they, these women, they don't want to pay for or can't afford, which I understand childcare. And they leave them with these men who have give zero shit about these kids. And PS, they're probably hung over laying on the couch and they have zero tolerance for a two-year-old. Right. We're going behind the handle because they don't have their own. This is not a new story, people. This is not a new story. But yeah, I mean, this this is not a new story. This is not something that we haven't seen a hundred times. And women out there, if you're listening, men out there, if you're listening, like if you can't handle a child, tell the girl, I look, I don't want to watch your kid. And if you're a woman out there and you have a kid, moving a guy in is not the answer. It's not. So, so yeah, so we just, I mean, honestly, we just need to do better as a whole. I hope women that are listening to this take heed, do not just move men into your house. And I know like, you know, 50% of of marriages end in divorce, which means that there's a very high chance that you're going to get into another relationship with another person and bring another person into your home, but just do your due diligence, you know, like, I mean, granted, you know, we can't be psychic here. We can't read, you know, the tea leaves, but if, if, if you have any sort of inkling and your kid that he's gone, Mm -hmm. gone, this person needs to be gone. I, I, it's hard and I get it's hard, but if your kid comes up to you, it's not that hard. 
it's really not. <laughs> it's not. Because I mean, like, that's the thing. Like, and we haven't really talked about this. Like you've been on a healing journey for many reasons. I mean, and I'm sure the people that are listening get that mm-hmm. because not only were you abused, but you weren't believed. And to me, when I'm seeing women in the healing process, to me, that is almost worse. I'm not, I'm not saying it is because I don't know, mm-hmm. but what I've heard women say is, holy shit, really? It's almost worse. Yeah. Cause it's not the trauma is what really overshadows everything. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I had been living in trauma, because again, I lived with my stepfather until the age of 25, along with my mother. So this charade of this, you know, good family and, you know, we're so close, it was false. So I had to live my life in a lie just for the sake of my baby brother, because I'm holding on to the promise I made at 12 (laughs) for him. And it was just, it was just ridiculous. Like I'm supposed to conduct myself a certain way, become a you know, go through my teenage years, graduate high school. I had children young. So now I'm a teen mom on top of all this other baggage and trauma I'm dealing with. It, it just was, I'm amazed (laughs) at how far I've come in this time because I wasn't receiving medication. I wasn't getting therapy at that time. It took a lot of like uncontrollable things to happen to me mentally for me to get to a place where I'm like, I need to talk to someone. Yeah. I need to see what's going on because I'm not, what I'm doing isn't, doesn't feel right. It doesn't seem quote unquote normal. With regard to your actions in life. Yes. Your, My feelings, the anxiety, yeah. the depression, social anxiety was really big for me at one point in time. Anytime I would need to get ready for something or do something, I was sweat profusely. My wow. heartbeat was racing. And it was just until recent that I under I started to understand like I've been living in this type of state this entire time. I'm 35. Yeah. So that fight or flight just all the time. All the time. Hand sweating, underarm sweating, feet sweating, just anxious. And now that I'm learning how what those triggers are and what that looks like for me, I am just now starting to see the other side of what calm is for me. And it feels amazing. Well, I mean, it suits you. That's for sure. Cause I mean, you're just, if, if you're not watching this on YouTube, please God go over to YouTube. Cause I'm going to put it up. Cause she's just literally a breath of fresh, beautiful air. And so not only have, are, are you, cause, cause you know, that's what the other gals have also talked about is you're not only a victim of abuse, but you're a survivor and you're a victim and a survivor for life because yes. it can come up at any time in very many ways. Mm-hmm. And so you're constantly dealing with that and you're constantly surviving all of this. So this is, this isn't just going to go away. Something might, as with any of us, we all have our garbage. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it comes up, you know, we see my thing is what my son was in the NICU. So if I see uh, anything on TV, that's a, the neonatal stuff and tubes, ding, 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 you know, you never know what might throw it up in the air. And so you're always kind of working through that trauma and that post-traumatic stress. But in your healing, you, of course, are deciding to heal everyone around you by sharing your story. And I think that's what's so amazing about all of you people that are on this amazing series. So, so yeah, so you're literally helping people. But I, you know what, 
If you want to learn a subject, make sure you can teach the subject. If you want to heal, help pe- other people heal. Because when you're helping people, you're healing. I can't tell you how many podcasts I have done and I have left the hour and been like, I just healed in that. Like, it is so healing to walk through all of this stuff and what you're doing with Keisha's legacy, which is on Keisha's legacy on YouTube, Keisha's Mm -hmm. legacy on TikTok, and also on Instagram, where you're sharing your story. You're talking to people, you're answering questions, you're Mm -hmm. interacting by way of comments that heals you too. And I know it does. Mm -hmm. Because it's, yes. it's getting it out. It's like therapy. I mean, I know just from myself that it's it's huge. But And, and also mm-hmm. knowing that it wasn't for nothing. Exactly. Put my pain to purpose. That's what I like to repeat to myself, even because recording it isn't easy. You know, as much as it may seem <laughs> on the other side, it is very hard. And for that reason, I do have to take my mental health into play each time. Yeah. So as much as I am helping others, I do have to keep myself at the forefront in regards to I'm still healing. It's only been a year total since I've gone public about what I've what I endured for all this time. So it's a growing thing with me. And I'm just so thankful that I have the perception and the audience that are willing to take me in and listen to my story. And even be encouraging to others, tell their story as well. Because in my comments, I really encourage it being a safe space for people. Yeah. So there's a lot of people who haven't even spoken their truth either, where they found that solace in my comment section and are opening yourself up. And I do respond back to my comments. I do give advice. I do answer questions. (laughs) I try to keep myself as open as possible with my information because it is to help others. It's what I'm leaving behind. It's unbelievable. And as I had mentioned earlier, you do have four children. Yes. So every minute that you get healthier, the family gets healthier. They, they have a better life, like breaking, breaking the general generational curse, if you will, of trauma Mm -hmm. and doing better as a mom. Cause as you had mentioned, your mom was not working, but still, where was she at? And not believing her. I mean, the amount of, uh, we, we always tell our kids, you learn from everything, good or bad. Mm-hmm. You learn what not to do and you learn what to do, be it from a mm-hmm. boss or a coach or a teacher or a friend, whatever. And I just, everything that I see about you is you've just turned coal into a diamond. I mean, literally into a diamond. And for you and for your kids and for the world around you, I mean, I saw one video and I was like, oh, oh, she, she, I, please God answer my (laughs) message because, you know, I mean, like, I was like this, and not only are you so generous with your story and your healing, but you're such a light and you just, you communicate all of it so well and, and really share share all of this that you've been through. And I so appreciate it. I, 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 I don't even want to say about myself. The world appreciates you. I, I'm not kidding. I, I did. I'm small. We all appreciate you taking this time because I know as a creator on TikTok, 
like for the last couple of days, I've just kind of put up BS videos just to kind of like fill space, but it is taxing. It is taxing being a creator. Like it is like block, block, block. I mean, I am blocking people and you have to, you have to protect your peace. And it's a, it is a microcosm. It is interesting though. Like social media is a microcosm of learning to protect your peace and not tolerating bad behavior. It is a very interesting place to learn that you just block you say yes. one rude thing your to me, block. yeah yes 100 mm-hmm. percent. and so as you're moving through all of this continued healing have you noticed that you you know like certain ways of healing are coming up for you that work better for than others do you work with a therapist like for people out there that are going through this like would you say hey you you have to see a therapist you have to cut these people out of your life blah 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 what's worked for you well what's worked for me most and foremost was disconnecting myself from the core of my trauma which is my mother and my stepfather. Surprise to them. But Isn't it amazing? It was, you know, I did sit them down and let them know that they were no longer going to be in my life before I even pursued going after him criminally. So I knew that I, in order for me to be at a good place mentally and emotionally, I couldn't be in a relationship with them. And that might not be the same for everyone else, but for me, it was necessary because I, I felt it physically taking away from me And then, yes, I do receive therapy. I've received it on and off throughout the years. I actually found someone who was perfect for me, I believe. And she was given to me through PAR, which is Pittsburgh's Action Against Rape, which Mm. is the advocacy program that I contacted initially because I didn't know where to turn. Yeah, And they were actually given to me by a Facebook group that I was in because I had posted anonymously. And so contacting them they're the ones who let me through the whole criminal proceedings and advocate the entire time so I received therapy through them for free so I would encourage people to look into those agencies such as PAR um, for help because they do have a lot of resources for you and it for me with PAR and my therapist it's because she is knowledgeable on people like me Okay. Yeah. <laughs> We've experienced the trauma, the different forms of therapy. We customize it to my needs. So that's what's been working for me. Also, I meditate. I do a lot of grounding exercises because I'm unworking a lot, a lot of years worth of trauma. So I acknowledge that once I acknowledged yeah. <laughs> that the core of who I was in my day-to-day interactions was derivated or coming from a trauma place, it made me reevaluate, like, I have a new slate to create. And this woman that I'm growing into and healing into, it's like, it's fun because I get to make the rules. So I've been taking pleasure in that. And also as a mother, it's how a parent is different. I do take a more approach with meditation and, you know, acknowledging the signs of anxiety and and mental health in my children and assisting them. So that helps me because it feels as if like I'm doing what was never done for me, for my children. And I'm seeing the outcome of it on a day-to-day basis. And I'm so proud of myself. I would typically be like, oh, I'm so fortunate to be their mother instead of taking ownership and being like, wow, I am a great mother. Yeah. So, and then recently I've been exercising. I've been taking that on. I've been loving it. Mentally, it's like I meditate while working out. 
So it's not even about the physical for me at this point. It's just the payoff I get mentally from putting that time in and, and just isolating it for myself, knowing it's going to do wonders for me. So that's what I've been doing. Well, and you know, everything that you're saying is like, I, like I've said before on the podcast is so it's that's true self-care. Mm-hmm. Bubble baths and getting your toes done is not self-care eating, meditating, working out, doing, you know, taking care of your body and mind and spirit is true self-care. And we overlook that and think it's supposed to be a face mask on a Friday night while wearing a robe. No, this, what you are talking about, that is true self-care, taking that time to go to the therapist. And If you, I mean, if you're not in Pittsburgh, because it's Pittsburgh Action Against Rape, and that's P-A-A-R in Pittsburgh, but this, is that a government service? Like if someone were to look it up, a nonprofit, so there's one mm -hmm. in your area someplace, but I love the way you're talking about that they helped you find the right therapist, because Mm -hmm. I think that that is so important. And we miss that. We just like, okay, there's my Mm -hmm. insurance provider. They are going to cover this type of, you know, counselor, behavior health or whatever. They might not be equipped to go, hi, I've had a problem from five to 12. Can you help me? And they're like, "Uh, I can nod my head at you and tell you, ask you how you feel. Exactly. But if it's the right therapist, they're going to work with you on exactly what you need. So if you're listening to this, which what you're saying, Keisha, is find the right therapist. Yes. Don't be afraid to say you're not working out for me. It's not a commitment that you need to stick with. It's not a beautician. Um, you're not cheating on them. <laughs> get yourself right. the right therapist so that you can actually get through this and be healthy and be yeah. healthy because you're what matters. You're Absolutely. what matters. Oh, I just think that you're amazing. Thank you so much for being here with me. I so appreciate you. and. I, I, I know that you're going to add just, I mean, you've only been doing this on TikTok for a month and it's like, hi, yeah. welcome to my podcast. <laughs> I have to have you on. So, I mean, and I, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be 10 steps forward and one step back as with all healing, you know, like this, mm-hmm. it's, it's a process. We're all going through our own process, but I so appreciate you being here to share your story, your journey, your path, your triumph, your healing with everyone on this series, because I think it's really, really important. I really do. I think every time we tell a story, someone out there hears it and they feel less alone. Exactly. They feel less hopeless. They feel like they have options and that there's a whole life waiting for them if they just take the steps that are out there. And if anyone wants to connect with you, go over to Instagram or TikTok and it's K-I-S-H-A-S Legacy, Keisha's Legacy. Mm -hmm. And listen, watch her videos and connect with her. You know, you're there. If someone needs, you know, a direction, you can help point them in a direction. You're not a therapist. You're not a doctor. You're not a counselor, (laughs) but you are a friend and you are an advocate and you are more than happy to point people in a direction if, if you feel comfortable from that place. But thank you so much for being here with me today. I so appreciate you. Oh, thank you for having me. And also don't forget Keisha's legacy on YouTube because I'll be updating as well in regards to how it's like 
seeing me. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> it's a better, it's a nice long platform over on YouTube. You actually have yes. more than three minutes to share your story. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> right. But yes, thank you so much for even contacting me. I am so thankful for this opportunity. And I thank you for reaching out. Of course. And we'll see everybody here next week. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for listening. If you would like to connect on a more personal level, head over to MeredithWillets.com or on Instagram at Meredith with a Y for behind the scene footage and outtakes. Please subscribe and come back each week for more Meredith with a Y. Thanks again for listening. Cheers. Cheers.